listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. 9 verses 4 through 7. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows, and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth, not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Good morning, church. You guys good? So good. I love it. I just want to shout out uh, someone real quick. Um, on Friday, I got to go and support one of our, one of our uh, congregants' uh, son named Solomon. He, on Friday, went to SoFi Stadium and won a championship game. It was just a blast. Not only... He, I didn't tell him I was going to do this. Not only does he commit so much time and effort into his sport, he also commits a lot of time and effort into the church, um, into his school, into just, just highlighting you, Solomon. Love you, man. Good stuff. Yeah, give him a hand. Um, moments, moments you never forget, right? Moments in life that you remember forever. Um, I just uh, want to introduce myself really quickly. My name is Samir. I have the honor of being one of the pastors here. Uh, one of because we are an elder-led church. We have uh, four other pastor elders that also lead and oversee the congregation here. And so we're blessed to have that. It's such a joy to, to ride and run uh, with, with them in ministering and, and leading the congregation. So I just want to share that. We are continuing our series and equipped for depth and restoration in Christ, stewardship edition is like I call it. Because in stewardship, that means we have the things that we have been given in this life to use and utilize well. How do we do that? How do we do that effectively? Uh, we all desire to use the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the time, the money, the, the resources for good things, uh, for our family or for this, the kingdom of God or for our own personal gain. How do we do that well? Uh, and, today, and today and this month, we've been really looking into that as we've been really diving into how do we, how do we steward and be equipped in our gifts that God's given us spiritually um, and also in the time that we spend with God in our spiritual disciplines. And this month, it's been a joy to look at how we steward our things well. Um, and so I'm going to continue that, valuing and stewarding well. And we're going to focus on time today, the, the, the joy of the time that we have. How do we steward that well? I think that's a big question that I hope all of us desire to grow in and learn. And let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into it. Lord, we are just grateful to be able to dive into your word this morning, um, to hear from David, the psalmist, uh, a king who recognizes his, um, his time being limited on earth. Lord, and, and as us, Lord, as your children, help us to see what this time here on earth means. How do we steward it well? How do we live in this season of our life um, well, God, knowing that all of eternity 
is, is before us and in front of us, Lord, that we get to spend and be with you for eternity. What a joy that is, Lord. And so, God, as we pray, uh, I pray that you give me um, just a sense of your spirit, uh, that your spirit indwells me, empowers me to preach your word well, that I may decrease so that you will increase, Lord Jesus. We love you, God. Will your presence be with us, change our hearts, transform our minds so that we can be more like your son, Jesus. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want you to imagine really quickly um, being at the end of your time here on earth, right? Um, God bless you. Being at the end of your time here on earth. I know that can be morbid a little bit, but just imagine being at the end, like kind of on your deathbed, just like pondering and looking at your life, right? The question is, what, what are some things that you wish you had more time to do or more time for? Right? I know that's a, that's a heavy thing to think about. I don't know about you, but I actually think about that often. Um, I don't know how often, but often in thinking like, am I, am I living my life today knowing that I won't regret what I'm doing at the end of my life? Every time I hear of someone in a circumstance like that, whether it's me visiting someone or whether I heard someone that has been visited the question being asked, or they even just want to share their heart of like their whole life as they look at it in its entirety, almost never do they say, man, I wish I just made more money. Or man, I wish I had more stuff. I wish I had more cars, or I wish I bought more houses. Almost every time they would say, I wish I had more time with my family. Or I wish I spent more time with my loved ones, or I wish I had spent more time in the things that I love and, passion, and have passion for. Almost always that's the desire at the end of our life. Instead, they spent more time at work, more time making a bunch of money, spent more time about worrying about the things and the details of life, and, and it's not because they did it with intention, but because they did it with the thought that this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my time. And not to say that we shouldn't work or that we shouldn't do those things, but with the intention of our day and our time, how are we looking at the entirety of our life? Because time is but a vapor. Time comes and goes quickly. The reality is our life is so limited. It's futile. It's here one day and it's gone tomorrow. It's quick. I've heard this once said, there's two ways that we can know how much we love someone or something by just looking at two things in our life. Those two things are your checkbook and your calendar. Have you guys heard that before? If you guys don't know what a checkbook is, that's the thing that you flip. You write how much money you want to spend, and yeah, we don't use those anymore. But essentially, the heart of it is our checkbook determines what we spend our money on. The things that we love, the things that we enjoy, how much we spend our money on. And our calendars determine how much we spend our time, where we spend our time, where we choose to go and be. See, the key difference between money and time, first of all, the, the similarities is that they're both very essential things that determine a lot in our life, right? We every day think about those two things, about how am I going to spend my time and how am I going to spend my money? 
Every moment, that's something we think about. The key difference between the two is that money, we can create and make more of it every single day. Right? We have the opportunity to do that. But with time, you can't make more time. Right? It's limited. Time is limited. Every single person in the world has the same amount of time in a week to work with. There's not one person that create, can create more time than the other. That's very unique. That time is 100% limited. And we are all under the same confines of time. And so that's, that's a big deal. So how do we then steward and manage our time? How do we look at it? Do we look at it or do we just let it go and just figure out as we go what, what we're going to do in that moment? Do we consider those moments? And this is where David, as we read, I'm going to read it again for us, is recognizing this reality that, wait a minute, my time here is limited. My time here is short. This is a king who has all everything in, in the palm of his hand, has a nation in the palm of his hand, and he's writing a song because he's concerned about the reality of his time being limited. Let's read it again. He says this. He says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. Imagine that. Just in comparison to God, this is how big our time is on earth. It's just the width of our hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. We are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will spend it. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My only hope is in you. Love this psalm. I think it gives a great picture into what our big idea is for today. The big idea for us today as we're diving into this passage is that we can entrust our limited time to an unlimited God. We can entrust our limited time to an unlimited God. How true that is. So we'll explore three key points to really bring this truth home. First truth, the first key is that we can trust him because he is infinite. We can trust him because he is infinite. See, David starts his song by acknowledging the brevity of life, the shortness of life, the reality of how small it is. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. I think that's a prayer we should all seek. Remind me, Lord, how, how limited this time is. How short my time here is on earth in comparison to your everlasting, eternal greatness. My time here is short. My time here is just a snap of a finger compared to you. In the face of life's fleeting reality, the psalmist David here turns his eyes to the infinite nature of God. How big he is. How huge he is. How outside of time he is, that our trust is grounded in the fact that God is eternal and unchanging. He is the same, always, everlasting to everlasting. He exists beyond the constraints of time, which is something that we can't even fully grasp 
in our own, in our own heads. If we just think like he doesn't confine himself within time, like we can't even grasp that because we're so confined within time that we can't even go outside of that understanding. To me, that's just evidence of God's just reality, who he is. And his wisdom surpasses our understanding beyond our years. The infinite God who created time itself is the one in whom we can place our trust. He is the one who created time. So in our time, we can trust that he is guiding us and leading us. So who is this God? I love how Isaiah says it in chapter 40, verse 28. He says, do you not know? I love that, the way I always times ask, ask that question. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. There is no limit to our God, the everlasting God, the creator of all things. This isn't things that are new to us, right? For most of us, because they're things we grasp in our head to a degree. But it's so big and such a big reality when it comes to the moment of our time that if we grasp that truth, we can truly trust our time in his hands. He's unlimited. He's everlasting. He's a good God who created time and limits and and ordered seasons to be. Imagine that. He's a God that's out of time. But yet he created time with weeks, months, hours, seasons, like even the weather within the year, right? He created seasons of three months at a time. Like he's an orderly God because he realizes that we're a limited being. That we are actually blessed by the limits of time because we're not infinite. So that the time of limits and the time of seasons are a blessing because we wouldn't even know how to go about our time and day if we didn't have the order in which God created for us to live within. So the order of time is a blessing because he's a good God that gives us blessings. We see that in Psalm, again, David says in Psalm 103, 13 through 18, he says, as a father has compassion on his children, our heavenly father, So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. He remembers, he knows. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes. And its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is toward those who fear him. And his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. precepts. See, when we recognize how futile, how limited, how, how how unlimited he is, but how limited we are, he is then the center of our life. Time doesn't even confine him. This brings us to a place of humility and reverence. When he says of fear, it's this reverence and respect for a God that's unlimited. Which leads me to my second point today. We can trust him because we must trust him because we are finite. See, we can trust him because he is infinite and everlasting, but we must trust him because we are finite. 
We are limited. We have limits. Verses five through seven says, you have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. Sometimes our life and our days feel so long, but yet it's described here as but a breath compared to the everlastingness of God. We are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. All our busy rushing ends in nothing. We heap up wealth not knowing who will even spend it. See, who are we? We are really, we are dependent on God. We are dependent on him. We're fragile. We're limited. Guys, I don't know if you know this, but we are not the center of the world. It's so easy to live our day-to-day with that mindset of like, it all is surrounded around me. Every moment, it's dependent on me. But in reality, we're a limited being that we are just but a vapor, but a breath. We are confined to limits, to time, to energy, to abilities, to money, whatever it is. We are confined to limits because these limits really ultimately seem like bondage, but they are a gift. They are a gift from God. See, in recognizing our finite nature, we find the necessity of trusting in the infinite God who holds our days in his hands. Our dependence on God becomes evident as we acknowledge our need for his guidance and wisdom in navigating our day-to-day life, or navigating our smallness of how quick life is today. So self-awareness and knowing ourselves is essential in this. It's important to know who we are. It's important to know how do we live today. Or else we live in this place called Neverland where time never goes, right? It's just never, we're always young. Time doesn't happen. But it's not a reality. It's not our true self. So we need to know ourselves. We need to know our capacities. We need to know our abilities. We need to know our family dynamic. We need to know what and who and where are we spending our time and our energy and our stuff. I would encourage, something that I do, I like to do, is to take quarterly and even yearly inventory of our time. How do you spend your time? Stewarding our time well then is the only power and the control we really have of our day-to-day. Because if God is infinite and we are finite, then we are finite to the minutes and hours of our day. How do we then steward them well? That's a great question. I want to give us a little time graph. I don't have it up there, but you have it in your head. You can write it down, take notes. Because this is the reality of the time we all have. We all have the same amount of time in a week. We have 168 hours a week. Every single one of us have 168 hours within the seven-day week. Most people sleep about eight hours a a day, which makes it 56 hours a week of sleeping. This is averaging, right? So you know yourself. You know your time spent. I would encourage you to take these notes so that you can, after this, go and do this on your own. On average, 56 hours a week of sleeping. Right, the base hours a week of work is about 40 full-time hours, right, of work. So you got 40 hours a week of work. And so that leaves us, if you are sleeping for 56 hours and going to work for 40 hours, that leaves us with 72 hours left in our week. 72 hours left. 
How are we spending those 72 hours? Things like family, how are we spending our time with our family, right? Like dinner at home, family, going on family day, going on trips with our family, spending time with them. How are we spending our 72 hours on kingdom stuff, right? Going to church, missional group, loving our community, spending time with Jesus. What does that look like when time? Our social life is a big part of our hours in a week, right? How, how we hang out with our friends, when and how we're doing that. That's great. Include that. Self-care. How, how are you spending time in meditation, in prayer, for your heart, for your soul, for your mind, right? How is that going? You're working out. How is your body doing? Are you taking care of your health? There's time that takes to do that. And your rest, not, not just sleep, but like resting your soul, resting your mind. Are you taking time to do that? And your play. I like to play golf. What do you like to do, right? Go, how, do you, how do you spend your time playing? How do you spend your time going out and enjoying life? These are important things. These are good things. Right, and then there's chores. Got a lot of chores to do. I got a lot of things I got to get done. And then there's the miscellaneous, right? Like we gotta, we're driving. Everyone's got to drive somewhere. What does that time look like to you? Social media. Sometimes we need that for work. So some of us, social media is work. But outside of work, what does that look like? Video games uh, and TV, not that those are bad, but if they're outside of the time of rest that you've allotted or your playtime that you've allotted, maybe it can be a waste of a lot of time. Uh, what does that look like for you? And so I want to encourage us that within the 72 hours of our week that we all have, again, not saying that everyone has 72 hours, everyone's life is different, but generally that 72-hour time span, how are we utilizing it? I want to give us uh, a base of a, a rule that I've heard. It's usually used in finance, but um, I think it can be utilized in time as well. It's the 10 10 80 rule. I don't know if you guys heard of that. 10% of your money goes to savings, 10% goes to tithe or giving, and then you live off the 80%. Same, similarly, with uh, our time, 10% goes to saving, which is probably like extra time with our family, you know. 10% goes to giving, like giving to the church, giving to the body of Christ, your time. And 80% goes to yourself. Where do, where do you put that? And now I'm not saying that that's exactly what you should do. I'm saying that's a starting point. That's a base point to, I think, a lot of us that maybe we don't even look at our weekly schedule. We don't really look at our time spent. We just kind of go. We just let life happen to us, and then we just let our time at the end of the week, like, man, where did all my time go? We say that a lot, right? Where did all my time go? I think this is a good base to work from. How do I utilize my time? 10, 10, 80 is a good starting point. I actually would suggest to be more in the 20, 20, 60 range. Because if you think 10, 10, 80, really, if you're working on a 72-hour time frame, 10% of 72 is 7.2 hours a week with family, and then 7.2 hours a week in time with spending with the kingdom and, and the church and the body of Christ. And then you have another 57.6 hours in however you want to spend it, which is, I mean, that's a good base. That's a good starting point if you don't really have one. But I would encourage us to say 20%, which is about 14 hours with your family, really invested in that. What does that look like? That's like... When is time for dinner a week? Guys, we are busy. I know that sounds crazy to think, but like if we're not scheduling these things, things get in the way. It's so easy to just skip on time with family. So easy to just be like, ah, I have this meeting, like my kids will understand. But like really setting time aside 
to spend time and sit in a dinner table with your family or with those you love or those that you're around, right? Or spending a full day like a family day. What do those hours look like? Those matter, right? And then 20% of the 14.4 hours were like spending time in the church, spending time in the community, spending time with my loved ones that I want to share the gospel with in my, in my community, my neighbors, my, the local school, the church. How are we spending our time giving back? I'm saying 14 hours. I'm not saying that is your time because everyone's percentages are different. So what are your hours? What are your percentages looking like? Just want to encourage you guys. This is not stuff that I would, I would never preach on things I wouldn't do myself, right? So this is stuff that I try to work on myself. So then that leaves me, if I am working a 40-hour week and I am sleeping 56 hours a week, then I have 43 hours to myself to work with. How am I spending then those 43 hours after I've given my time to my family and given my time to the church? I, got, I still got 43 hours. But we, the point of all this is like we have a lot of time that we don't recognize because we don't allot and set time aside to recognize the percentages that we spend in our week. This stuff affects our day-to-day choices of our time. And so I want you, in your time, to practically use this tool, right? If, if 80, 10, 10 is the only thing you can do and that, and that works for you, great. Utilize that. Make sure that time is set aside. And find out what your numbers are. Find out what your hours are. I would encourage us at the 60, 20, 20 number because I think that's a little more, especially if you're not working 80 hours a week. Right? Usually there's some people that do that, which that's a need, and that's fine. But I want to encourage us to be unique in that, in that pursuit of how our time is spent. How our time is spent. That's important. So third key. First off, I, I wanted to spend time on a practical tool because I think we can talk about time in general because it's important. But without a practical tool, how do we, how do we move forward? How do we look at it? Generally, How do we actually look at our life and be like, man, this is a big deal. This is important. How do we do that well? So I want to encourage you to do that on your time. I think it's fun. Uh, do it with your partner or someone you care for. Or if you don't have someone like that, reach out to someone in the church. Like, hey, help me walk through this. How do I do this well? Uh, we'd love to walk through that with you. So how we steward our time, we must trust him because we are finite. We're finite. And that's why knowing how we spend our time is essential. And so third and final... We trust him by waiting with hope as we give our time to eternal things. We trust him by waiting with hope as we give our time to eternal things. Right, that psalm ends with this, verse 7. And so, Lord, where do I put my hope? My hope only is in you. My hope only is in you. See, in the face of life's brevity and shortness and our our finite existence, our trust in God is not passive, but it's active. Our trust in God determines how we utilize all the things we have been given. We entrust our limited time to an unlimited God by waiting on him with hope. This waiting is not idle, but it's purposeful. It's purposeful as we invest our time in eternal things. Things that matter to God. It involves aligning our priorities with his kingdom and seeking his guidance in how we spend the precious moments of our lives. 
You see, Jesus is the perfect example of this. He lived the perfect life on this earth, perfectly. See, you hear a lot of times where we say, oh, I'm just human. Oh, I'm just human. But the reality is, like, Humanity was, was, was created to, to have a perfect self, right? And that perfect self is only in, was really lived out by one person. That person was Jesus. Jesus was the perfect humanity. He was the perfect example of a being on earth. And so being just human, really what we're trying to say is, oh, I'm sinful. But in its true form, in its true self, humanity looks like Jesus. So how did he live? How did he utilize his time? How did he utilize his life? What was his life like? Because he lived it perfectly. He was fully human and fully God. So he kind of had a little bit of a cheat code. So it's, you know, totally understandable. But we still pursue him. We pursue how he lived on this earth. He was fully human. He was the only one who lived this life perfectly. Who else should we look at as an example on how he used time? He's the perfect Example, I saw and found this article by a guy named uh, Peter Saunders, who was a Christian medical doctor, who did this, um, this journaling, this, this study through the Gospels, and looked at Jesus' time and how he spent his time, and he found 10 top priorities in how Jesus spent his time throughout the Gospels. You guys interested in this? I think it's interesting. When I read it, I was like, man, that's important. How do, what are his top 10 priorities as he lived his life? How can we learn from this? So I read the article, and I was like, hey, this is helpful. Let's share this. Um, He said this, he said, Jesus uniquely maintained a balance between worship, prayer, family, friends, work, and rest. How many of y'all are trying to figure that out too? I mean, right, that's the balance that Jesus was trying to figure out. We're trying to figure that out too. Do this. He kept uh, kept an immediate relationship with God and he had a clear view of his life tasks. He he had very intentional day-to-day life. Like he didn't just try to figure it out. Like he was intentional on how he lived. He is our model, looking at Jesus as our example of time. These are the 10 priorities of Jesus's throughout the Gospels, Mark, Mark, John, Luke, and Matthew. I did it out of order, but it's there. So the first one, he said, he recognized Jesus always guarded his devotional life. Jesus always guarded his time with God, the Father. He always guarded his time in abiding in Jesus, I mean, in the Father, right? He always spent time with God. That was the first thing he recognized. He always guarded his devotional life. We can learn a lot from that, right? Second one, Jesus, he didn't sin. (laughs) That's a big one. He lived a life of perfection. He lived a life of purity, right? Not saying that we should not ever sin because, I mean, we should pursue holiness, obviously. But because we are finite, because we are human in the sense of our brokenness, we can fall into sin. But he lived a perfect life. He did not sin. And so we pursue the holiness he pursued. Third, Jesus was not driven by the expectation of others, right? He was told what to do by religious leaders, and he never confined himself to the expectations of others, ever. That's huge. I think that's a, that's a big reason why we do and spend our time and money the way we do is because of expectations that others put on us. Fourth, Jesus had a clear strategy, just like how I kind of like set times and constraints with like, this is our time, percentages. Like, we don't know exactly what the strategy was when it comes to what he was thinking about, but he had a clear strategy. Like, there was a goal with how he went about his time, where he spent his time, where he went, and why he went. It was clear. 
Jesus established priorities. He had clear priorities in his day. Jesus made time for individuals. He made time for people. That was a priority of his. Jesus equipped others. He didn't just go and figure it out. He brought others with him. Hey, come look. Hey, come follow me. Let me show you how to live this life. He equipped others in the process. Jesus then also chose his company. Right? He didn't allow others to choose him. He chose people to come follow him. Right? He was very intentional with the circles he was around. And it wasn't just like, uh, like an elitism type of choosing. It was like the, the low of the low and the high of the high. He spent time with all the diverse people in this community. I think that's huge. Number nine, Jesus recognized the need for rest. That's a big one. Jesus, God, fully human, fully God, said rest is essential. He chose to make sure he rested. And then 10th, he, Jesus, was never idle. In his rest, he wasn't idle. In his time with the Father, he was not idle. What that means is he did everything with intention. He chose to spend his time with intention. And I think there's a lot to learn in that. With Jesus as our example and our hope for eternity, he lives as fully human, but also as fully God, which means he has an eternal heavenly perspective that doesn't come second nature to us, right? It's something that we have to work towards, something we have to be intentional with. This idea of eternal life and everlasting life beyond our full capacity is different, right? Because we just talked about how finite we are, how, how limited we are in this world, But there is a time that is promised called eternity where it actually breaks through this idea of being finite. It breaks through this idea of us being limited here on earth. Jesus came as fully God and fully human where he was actually fully God. He didn't have limits. He didn't have time, but he chose to come into a place, into a world that had limits and limited him. He had time now. He had had to figure out how to utilize every moment. This idea of eternity is beyond our understanding. This idea of eternity is only possible because of Jesus. He came fully God and fully man where he said, I am the only one who ever lived on this earth that can understand eternity in its fullness. That I'm bringing down eternity here to earth. Our time is limited, but Jesus promises eternity with him. What a beautiful truth that is. I want to show a quick video. It's five minutes, not that quick, but it's very important because it's this idea of eternity. How do we grasp eternity in its fullness and Jesus? Because we just talked about how time is limited, but how do we keep our eyes focused on eternal matters, not just today? Let's watch this video real quick and then we'll close. If you know very much about the story of the Bible, You've probably heard that Jesus offers eternal life. Sounds nice, but what does Jesus mean by eternal life? Well, Jesus adopted this phrase from the Hebrew scriptures. In English, it's translated eternal life or sometimes everlasting life. But the phrase literally translated from Hebrew is life unto the age. Life unto the age. What does that mean? Yeah, it's a dense phrase. And to understand it, we need to first talk about what an age is in the Bible. 
Let's do it. So the Hebrew word for age is olam, and it refers to a period of time. What length of time? Well, any length of time, actually. And it can be in the past or in the future. What matters is that it's a period of time with some common attribute that remains constant. So, for example... So, like the time of Abraham and his descendants all the way up to Moses. The common attribute is it's the time of Moses' ancestors. And so Moses can say, remember the days of the age, the years of past generations and elders. Okay. Or an age can be shorter and in the future. Like Samuel, who's going to spend his whole life serving in the temple. During his dedication, his mother Hannah calls this an age. So an age is a period of time that has a unique and constant characteristic. Exactly. And there can be all sorts of different ages, depending on what you want to focus on. You got it. And so someone could live in two ages at the same time, if those ages happen to overlap. All right, so back to the phrase, life unto the age. What age is this talking about? Okay, so in the beginning of the biblical story, humans are made from the dust of the ground. This is a common biblical image for creatures that are mortal. That is, they live in an age where they could die. But God takes humanity and places them in a sacred garden where they're invited to experience a new and deeper kind of life. By eating from the tree of life. Yeah, we're told it offers them life unto the age. A life of infinite potential because it connects them to God's own divine life. But the story takes a turn. And instead of accepting life unto the age, they eat of the tree of knowing good and bad. Right. Taking from this tree means seizing life for themselves on their own terms, apart from God's wisdom. And so they're exiled from life unto the age, and they go into the age of death. They mistreat each other. They do what's right in their own eyes. Things get really violent. Exactly. And so the whole rest of the story of the Bible can be thought of as a choice between two different ages. The age of life on our own terms that leads to death, or the age of God's own life. And while humanity has rejected God's life, God promises he'll open the way back. Exactly. And it's that promise that ultimately leads the story to Jesus. He's presented as God's own life become human, so that both ages overlap in him. He lives in the age of mortality and death, and in the age of eternal life at the same time. And so he can offer people access to life unto the age. Right. It's like what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Yet, just like humanity rejected God's life in the garden, Jesus was rejected and put to death. But God's life is more powerful than death. And so Jesus rises from the dead, and he can offer God's life to others. Like the Gospel of John also says, Whoever trusts in him will not perish, but has eternal life. That is, life unto the age. Cool. Now, most people think of eternal life as something that happens after you die. But in the Bible, access to this age is something I can have right now. Yeah, remember, Jesus was the place where the age of God's life meets the age of death. And that means that when people trust him, they can experience eternal life here and now. But we also still live in the age of death. So what happens when I die? Well, just like death couldn't overpower God's eternal life in Jesus, similarly, we can remain alive to God even if we're physically dead. In the Bible, this is called being with Christ. 
And it's not talked about very much because it's not how the overall biblical story ends. The focus of the Bible is about when the age of life completely overcomes the age of death and those who are with Christ are recreated to share in God's eternal life. A world where the age of death no longer has any power. Exactly. Because life that is fully connected to God's own eternal life and love is a life that will never end. What a beautiful truth that is that our hope of eternal life is dependent on what is actually assured, which is Jesus. That our finite life here and now is limited, but we have the opportunity to not only look at today, but to look at eternity with Jesus, that he is with us now and we will be with him forever. Eternal life is knowing he who is eternal, that is Jesus, who lived in the age of death and eternity, The evidence and proof of his lordship and the invitation into eternity with him is because of what he was able to do when he came to earth, die on the cross, and rise again. Eternal life is here and now and also is yet to come. Let us surrender and depend on him because he is the only hope. He is the only hope we have for eternity. So in the here and now, our time is limited, but in the eternity... That's yet to come. Our time with him is limitless. So as we are here today and now, how are we utilizing our time? How are we stewarding our day-to-day? How are we stewarding stewarding our moments as a place and an opportunity of worship, of worshiping him, of, of, of looking at eternally how our outcome will one day be to be with Jesus once and for all. What a joy that is. So as we reflected on Psalm 39, four through seven. May we be reminded that our limited time is held in the hands of our unlimited God. We can trust him because he is infinite and we trust, we must trust him because he, we are finite. We are limited. As we wait with hope, may we give our time to eternal things, knowing that our only true hope lies in the one who transcends time itself. May this truth shape the way we live, love, and serve in the brief moments that we live here on this earth. Let us entrust our limited time to an unlimited God who is faithful and never changing. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go into a time of communion, because through communion, Jesus is the opportunity for life everlasting is only possible because of what Jesus has done on the cross. That in how we are equipped to live this life, our time matters. And because our time matters, Jesus died that we're doing it. We're, we're, we're able to live this life day to day because he died on the cross. And we can do it with joy. We can do it with assurance and knowing that, man, even if I screw up, even if I don't use my time well this week, my assurance is in eternity with him forever. What great joy that is that we can have. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you died for us on the cross. That you are eternal that you are everlasting, that you never leave us nor forsake us, that your blood shed on the cross is the reason why we have life today and life abundantly, that eternity is now and yet to come, that we can live our day-to-day with joy and assurance knowing that we want to set our time uh, in a way that, the way you set it, Lord, on earth, effectively and and intentionally for the kingdom. Lord, as we utilize and seek out how we use our day-to-day, 
God, give us clarity on, on how, to, how to walk in that well. Give us your spirit. Lord, teach us. Help us, God, because we desire to, to look at eternal things the way you have, but also to enjoy life the way you've abundantly created us to enjoy it. But we are all in a different place in our time, in our, in our weeks, but Lord, only you know our hearts. So God, at the end of this day, at the end of this age, we want to look back at our life and know that we have spent the time that you've given us on the people we love and on serving you, Jesus, the one we love deeply. Thank you for dying on the cross for us and that we can take these elements as a representation and a remembrance of how you've died so that we can live forever and eternity with you. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11011 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at storycitygh or online at storycitychurch.com. Go and be the church.